starting at verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, this is Cornelius's, the centurion's servants that he is sending after he has just encountered the angel. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Fell into a trance. That's the sort of theology we don't often talk about in church. Maybe we'll dig into that in a second. And saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, and a voice that has been repeated to me whenever I eat with my Christian friends. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So last time we looked at how this passage all about change could speak to us in our situation, personally as we are looking for change, culturally in society, in the city of London as we are looking for change. We need change. We need change in some of our political situations. We need change in a society that is more divided than it appears to have been in quite a while. We need change in a society that is unequal and unjust, has loads of problems. We need change in our personal lives, right? There are probably loads of us here who need a change in our health, in our finances, who need a change in our faith. Christianity is a faith of change, is a faith of growing, of maturing, and that we're called to. And last time we looked at how Cornelius is the most unlikely person that God would bring change to. A a soldier from the empire coming into contact with the kingdom of God and the kind of contrast between the two. Well, today we're going to look at Peter and learn what it was about Peter in this situation that brought him to a place of change and what we can maybe learn, what that would say to us in our lives. So Peter is on the rooftop in what is now modern-day Jaffa, a coastal town, baking hot, Middle Eastern sun. It is noon and he is hungry. It is at his hottest and he's waiting for his food. And in that situation, God speaks to him. God uses the struggle and the conflicts that we go to to speak to us, to form us, to change us, to get our attention. And this wasn't just Peter tired and hungry. 
let's just like recap. So Peter, so far in the book of Acts, he has experienced Pentecost, an incredible thing. But from the back of that, he's then healed a beggar at the temple gates as he and John were working, which uh, were walking, which has then led to their first bit of persecution and opposition. The Sanhedrin, even the chief priests of the temple, come out in opposition for, to them. Then, it says they go around and they heal loads of people, and their response is to be thrown into prison, and an angel brings them out to preach on the streets. Then, they face even more opposition from the Sanhedrin. Uh, we have this encounter where this really famous teacher says, well, if this is of God, it'll, it'll do well. If it's not of God, then it'll just disappear. So then, on the the advice of that, which sounds very nice, they are publicly flogged, told not to speak about Jesus, and then sent on their way. Then, they have to start dealing with some of the issues of church. Anyone here ever had an issue with someone in church? Yeah, if not, I'll come to your church. Because um, every other church I've been to seems to have issues between people, right? But this issue they have is a race issue. It's an issue between um, the Greek, the Hellenistic, and the Hebraic Jews and the, and the widows and how they're looked after and people are looking after their own and some widows are being neglected so what they do is they choose some people who are going to serve these widows right and one of the people they choose is a guy called Stephen so he's chosen to serve the widows to get involved in the social justice aspects of the church right to care for people to be involved in the pastoral care and the first thing he does is go and start performing wonders and preaching and then he becomes the first martyr so just be careful next time you sign up for the hospitality rotor at church, right? Because that's, that's what happens. Um, maybe not. Maybe not in the UK. Maybe elsewhere. Everyone except the apostles, it says, are scattered. Everyone is scattered. And then we see these incredible stories. First of all, Philip um, meets some people in Samaria. And then Peter is called all the way up to Samaria from Judea. Samaria is north of Judea. And he goes up to lay hands and that, that the people there would receive the Holy Spirit. And he returns back to where he came, back to Jerusalem, going through the Samaritan villages, preaching as he goes. Then Philip has the encounter with the eunuch. We have the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. And Peter is first of all called to Lydda, where he heals uh, a believer called Anus. And then he's called to Joppa, where he is now, where he raises someone called Dorcas from the dead. Everything that happens up to now has all centered around Judaism, around the people of God. A little excursion to the Samaritans who were kind of the half people of God in their eyes. But Jesus had kind of spoke with them. Everything had happened around God's people and around God's promises. We don't know if Peter knows about Philip and the eunuch at this point and, you know, someone from Ethiopia receiving the gospel. But all of it has also happened in the context of conflict. And it's in this context he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But whilst he was praying and they were preparing, he fell into a trance. The, the Greek word is ecstasis, where we get the word ecstasy. is in an ecstatic state, which literally means he is not in his usual state. It's the same word that's used to describe the reaction of... Um, people who run away from Jesus' tomb in Mark, they are astonished when it says they're astonished and afraid and they ran away in Mark 16. Or when people are healed and the crowds are just beside themselves. It's the circumstances 
It's the conflict. It's the running around, seeing God at work, but also being fearful of his life. That in that place, in that rhythm of prayer that he's in, the rhythm of prayer that he clearly seems to get from the life of Jesus, God gets him into another state where then he is spoken to. Actually, the difficulties that we go through are often gifts from God, right? They never feel like that. They never feel like that when we suffer sickness. They never feel like that when we suffer financial difficulty. I had, a couple of months ago, I was involved in an innocuous tackle playing football, ended up with a blood clot in my leg and being lay on my back for six weeks. I had to cancel so many meetings, which was actually quite fun, if I'm honest. But I had to cancel so many meetings and stop so much of what I had planned to do. Significant stuff that I was wanting to do. Significant dates where I was going to get to minister and meet with people and do pastoral care. But actually, in that state, God really spoke to me. Often, it's in our times of real brokenness and hardship that God gets our attention. That God gets us in a different state. Isn't that true? That might not be an encouragement if you're, in that, if you're in that place, but actually that's often how God works. And as he's in this trance, he sees the heavens opened and something like a great sheep descending being let down by its four corners, and in it there's all kinds of animals. There are lots of songs um, been written in the last few years about open heavens, and they're often... Talking about verses, I think, more from the Old Testament where open heavens is to do with, with rainwater and harvest and abundance and blessing. Because in the New Testament, open heaven comes at Jesus' baptism and it comes as Stephen is martyred. And then it comes here. An open heaven isn't a blessing from God, it's a commissioning. It's a calling home. It's a calling to something of the purpose of God. That's what the open heaven is here the heavens open and God wants to do a new thing. Not, it doesn't, the heavens don't open and then Peter is magnificently blessed and he suddenly wakes up and he has gold sandals on. The heavens open and God is calling him into a place of discomfort, into a new thing. Now comes a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. This brings to mind the story of Ezekiel, where God asks Ezekiel to eat food cooked over human poo. And Ezekiel says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, okay, we'll go for animal poo instead. And Ezekiel's like, okay, if I have to. And it, and it goes on. But actually, God is uncompromising here. Because there's something quite profound in this. God has called his church to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But in order to go to the ends of the earth, God has to call us to the ends of ourself first. God has to prod us and poke us and take us internally into that place where we are fully surrendered to him. Where we're willing to push past our discomfort, past our barriers, past the things that would hold us back. There's a real challenge in that. And then the voice comes to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken at once up to heaven. Three times makes me think of Peter's three denials. Makes me think of Peter's three commissionings in the Gospel of John. 
Peter, I, I really emphasize with Peter because he's a slow learner, just like I am. God, he has a literal vision from heaven, and he still has to have it three times in order, in order to take it on board. But actually, there's something really profound in this. What God has made clean, do not call common. God doesn't call these things clean. He just says, go, kill, and eat. But actually, there's a sense of whatever God commands is clean. Whatever God commands is holy. That God is redefining what sacred means. And we've seen Jesus do this throughout his ministry, right? We've seen him do this particularly in the Gospel of Luke, which is the other half of the book of Acts. We've seen that actually Jesus redefines holiness for us. Holiness isn't something defensive. It's not something we maintain or we preserve. Holiness is something offensive. Holiness is the power of God, the power of pure life itself. That is dangerous for us because it's so furious and pure and true and good. But actually, whatever holiness touches is changed, is made holy. Calvin Samuel, who's a, who's a great writer and preacher, he describes it as, we often think of holiness as like a white t-shirt that we have to keep pure but actually holiness is actually like daz it's actually detergent it's actually something splashed about and that's the way that we see jesus define holiness often um we talk in particularly in in the free church like we're in in the reformed church about the priesthood of all believers and often we don't quite mean that what we often think of is an abolition of the priesthood there is no longer someone who has a direct access to God, who has to mediate for us. And that's partly true, but actually what we see, and what we see in stories like this, is an abolition of the laity. That actually isn't that there is no longer a priesthood, it's that now we are all priests. Now we all have access. Now we all get to meet with God and bring him our prayers and our petitions. What does that mean, practically? That's some interesting theological points, right? There's a new definition of... Sacredness. There's a new definition of offensive holiness. There's an there's a abolition of the laity. We are all commissioned and called. What it means is that we need more missionaries and less monasteries. That actually the Spirit wants to fill you up. And wherever you go this afternoon, wants to pour himself out onto your situation. That the Spirit would call your work, would call your relationships, would call your speech sacred and holy. And don't you call it unclean. Don't you talk of the worship team as your ministry and your work as something that just pays the bills. God has called that sacred. God has called every relationship that you have sacred because his spirit is at work in you in that situation. Peter was obviously inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. And then, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. What is this? And then behold. If you read the, um, the translation notes to the ESV, which is the, the Bible that we use here, um, they talk about this word behold. Because behold's a bit of an old-fashioned word. It's not a word that we use very often. And it literally just means like, look, look at that. And a lot of other Bible translations, they'll either say look 
Or sometimes they just put an exclamation mark at the end of a sentence. And that kind of gets across the sense. But it also doesn't. There's a richness to this word. It occurs all throughout the Bible. It's hene in the Hebrew. It's idu in the, in the Greek. It's this sense of look, perceive, recognize. It, it's a little bit more than just, oh, look at that. It's, would you look at that? Can you see what is happening there? There's that saying, isn't there? Hindsight is twenty twenty, And we often use that hindsight is twenty twenty when we're thinking about making decisions that will affect the future. But I think actually what the challenge is here and in the story to Peter is that we're called to be wakeful to the present. We're called to be seeing and perceiving and comprehending to what God is doing in and amongst us now. While Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Again, it's not that, this story kind of happens, I think, a little bit differently than maybe we would think. And we spoke last week how the angel comes, and it's not the angel that leads Cornelius to God. The angel says, go and get Peter. God wants to work through people. But there's something interesting here in that God doesn't tell Peter, you are going to go and you are going to see some Gentiles filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to change what my people is, being part of my people is all about. God doesn't give him a, a kind of clear commissioning or a mission statement of who you are. God, first of all, expands his capacity. God makes him uncomfortable. And then the situation comes about and he's ready for it. So actually, when we're uncomfortable, we're in that, in that place of conflict and challenge, it could be that God is preparing us. God is using that. Even if God didn't cause the suffering that we're going through, God is using it to make us ready for what it is that he wants to do, for the new thing that he is bringing about. Peter carries on and he says, what is the reason for your coming? What is the reason for your coming? God has just totally kicked him out of the nest. God has shocked him. God has thrown cold water over him whilst he was asleep and said, this is what I'm about. Don't call unclean the places that I'm calling you to go anymore. It's an astonishing thing. We could probably spend hours talking about the theology of that. What does that say about the law? What does that say about how Peter relates to to being Jewish? What does that say about all that we learn later on when we read Romans and Galatians? But there's a very, very simple point in the midst of all this. God uses our struggle and our surrender more than he uses our strengths. God doesn't call Peter and say, Peter, I want to make you a great preacher to an entirely new people group. God calls Peter and says, Peter, it's time to get uncomfortable. Can you do something that you're not prepared right now to do? Interestingly, when the story carries on, we don't hear about the meal that Cornelius serves. We don't know if Peter actually does go and kill and eat. And we could read Galatians and we could maybe make some arguments either way on that. The point isn't about killing and eating. And this isn't my defense of me being vegetarian or me being touchy right now. The point isn't about killing and eating. 
The point is God wants to disturb us. God wants to make us uncomfortable, to bring us to a new place, that we would be able to take part in what he's doing. That we should go to work this afternoon. We should go to our homes, go to our family, our friends, disturbed, beholding what he's doing. Let's stand, let's invite this spirit to to do that in amongst us together. Stand and pray. God, we ask for that gift of disturbance. God, I ask that as we pray right now, you, by your spirit, would show us the places that you're calling us to. Would show us the challenges that you're leading us into. God, I ask that you would show us the barriers and the hang-ups we have within ourselves that would stop us being pure channels for your love. That would stop us being pure vessels in which you could pour out your love, that we could pour it out on this world around us. Change us, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.